Happy New Year. We made it. Today, we're going to ring in the new year with a very unique and special Cars Yeah show. It's titled, How to Win in 2023. I have a very special returning guest who will be sharing proven practices on how to improve and succeed no matter what your goals may be in this new year. Whether it's around cars, your life, or your business, doesn't matter. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. It's the new year. Fantastic. We're going to start this off right. And today I'm north of Houston in Conroe, Texas, with a very special returning guest by the name of Tony Watley. Tony, welcome back to Cars Yeah, and happy new year. Do you have it in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Hey, Mark. Thank you for having me back on, man. I've always been an honor to be on your show, and I love what you do for the automotive enthusiasts out there. And you entertain us, you educate us, and you're always bringing great value. So I appreciate being back. Well, absolutely. And as I mentioned in a, an intro, we're going to do something very different on Cars Yeah! today, which I'm very excited about because it is the New Year's. And I want to give you a proper introduction, and we're going to dive into some very valuable information and context that you're going to provide the listeners today to set the New Year off right, probably and hopefully in a different way than they ever have before so that they can be successful. So allow me to give you a proper introduction. Tony Watley is an automotive enthusiast. He's actually a fanatic, an engineer, entrepreneur, mentor, and founder of 356 Driven Society. And he has his own podcast. Very cool. He's a 20 plus year serial entrepreneur. He's a business coach, best-selling author, and he's a speaker. He was the co-founder of LS1 Tech, an online automotive performance community, which they grew into the largest of its kind and sold for millions of dollars. Today, as we welcome in the new year, I've asked Tony to share his thoughts on how to win in the new year and actually any time in your life so that you have the best year ever in your wealth, health, mindset, and relationships. So we're going to take a short break and thank our sponsors, and then we're going to get to it. So we'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations, and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 224 9324 and protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. They're talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. 
Linkages about driving, restoring, collecting, and first-hand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, Tony, we are back. Your coaching is focused on four pillars of success, wealth, health, mindset, and relationships. And I want to start by hearing your thoughts on New Year's resolutions, resolutions in general, uh, setting them and setting them up to be successful. So let's start there. Yeah, I would say that I'm actually in the camp of people who promote and support people doing resolutions. And I know that there's a lot of naysayers out there that, you know, you hear the different messages, especially on social media about, no, New Year's resolutions are a waste of time. We should have new days resolutions or new months <laughs> resolutions. Or, right. You know, so they're always doing these things to discourage people from having resolutions. And I'm the firm believer that I'm going to take a spark. So if a spark happens to be a New Year's resolution list for you, and that's something that gets you started, like I'm going to support that, even if I believe that, yeah, we should be in a constant, constant state of improving every day, every month, like this is my brand, 365 Driven. So, but I'm all on board for people with resolutions. Like, let's do this. Well, absolutely. You have to start somewhere. And we're going to go through the steps here that you provide us or will provide us today to help people out there perhaps think of this in a different way. The old school world of, well, sit down and write down your goals and put them on a piece of paper and look at them every day. There's a lot more needed to being successful than just that. And I want to start with something that you spoke of last year when you did a great podcast on this topic, and that was the skill of visualization and your vision board. So take us through a little history here, because I think it all started with your mom, right? Yeah, it's really unusual that I grew up with a dream board is what we would call it. My mom is Japanese immigrant, so it was always normal. My sister and I, we had the cork board above our desk in our bedrooms and Anything that we wanted or we want to, to achieve, but back then we had magazines, so we would just cut pictures of cars and things out of magazines and thumbtack them onto that cork board. And it's just something that I got to see every single day when I was studying or building car models on the desk. And, you know, I just remember having a bunch of cars and fancy things on there and sports, obviously. And, you know, that I just thought that was normal. Then as an adult, I started to realize that very few people actually were raised like that. I, I just thought that was an unusual thing. And I remember being exposed to the the personal development industry really in my mid-30s and people are talking about vision board vision board vision board I was like what the heck are they talking about and then i realized like man i grew up with that my like, dream that's board for me <laughs> yeah yeah it's my dream board it's my cork board i hand all the awards on and things that made me feel good and and i, I started realizing that this is something that's actually very powerful that most people were unfortunately never exposed to and it's really just a, a way of a, a daily reminder. Nowadays, I, I always recommend using it as your backdrop of your computer screen. Like you can use a Photoshop editor or any photo editor and create a collage of things that you would like to desire or achieve or places you'd like to visit, things that are in your future, you know, put those on that thing. And every time you fire up or turn down your computer, you actually will see this. And you can also do this with the, the screensaver on your cell phones. Everybody's got a smartphone now. You can create a custom image with that. It, the more you see these goals and the things that you would like to achieve in your life, the more you become familiar with those things. And soon enough, your subconscious 
mind will actually start to create opportunities and look for opportunities and paths that will lead you to that result because our brains are very much a think of it as a supercomputer and they're, they like to solve problems our brains are always trying to solve problems in the background even if we're not aware of that so if you feed your brain your mind with these goals visually and things that you would like to experience or places you'd like to visit or things you'd like to possess it's always working in the background, looking for that shortest path that will give to you that potential opportunity. So if you don't have goals, if you don't have things you visualize, you don't really get that opportunity because your brain doesn't have that objective that it's trying to solve for you. You know, you touch on something important here, and that is how our brains work. Today, we have these devices in our hands that bring the world to us. And in many ways, they bring a bad world to us. We see things visually that are going on around the world that are terrible. I mean, floods, disasters, uh, genocide, murder, I mean, car crashes, people doing really stupid things that we kind of laugh about. However, I think they're very, very bad for us and they sit back in our brain and they do things to us. Uh, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that mainstream media, social media, they're they're really Headline articles, if you think about this, they're just really trying to get your attention. And we know that shock factor, you know, looking at a, a car accident, you know, the rubberneckers, like we all see this in human psychology that we are almost infatuated or very, very curious about things that are just like bad, right? So the media knows this, they know how to manipulate us the best because they actually created that entire process. And so they use headlines and imagery and videos to really make you gawk and go, oh my gosh, and create some kind of a, a negative or a hostile reaction or emotion within you. Because it's very powerful because if you look at the reasons why they do that, it's because they want your attention because you're going to see their advertisements. You're going to click on their articles. They get paid a few cents for every person that reads their article. So their intention and they know that the highest production is by creating these dramatic things that just set you off and create an emotion. And the funny thing about like the media itself is that you may be the Fox viewer, you may be a CNN viewer, but both of them know their audience and they're not trying to win the other side over. They're not trying to convince Fox viewers to watch CNN and they're not trying to watch get CNN viewers to switch to Fox. They, they know who their audience is. They know what sets them off. They know what triggers them. They know what upsets them. So they keep that content constantly coming out so they can earn their billions of dollars, a multi-billion dollar industry based on clicks and shares and people talking about those articles. So if you learn that this is all about money, it's all tracing back to dollars and you're letting this emotionally stir you up and get you all riled up every morning, that's a terrible way to live because then you start to think the world is doom and gloom and you think that nothing's going right and then everything's collapsing and people out there that are wealthy and people that are successful, people that are focused on their goals, they understand that there's bad things in this world. There's evil everywhere. There's always has been. But we're really focused on what we should be focused on, and we start to just be productive, even if this other stuff's going bad. It's like a background noise. So is the idea here, and years ago I read a book, this was decades ago, that talked about mental health and how your brain works. And one of the things they suggested was go a week without reading or watching any news. Now, this was before social media. This was just TV news and newspapers. And I did that, and I realized... The first few days were very hard, like, oh, I have to look at the news. I have to know what's going on. I have to know what the next disaster is. Yeah. But after about a week, I went, I didn't miss that, and I just gained a lot of hours of life that I could refocus on more positive, healthy things. So in this endeavor to cut back on this 
viewership of disasters and terrible things that really dwell heavy, I think, on our minds. Is it a discipline thing that you just have to start to practice to tell yourself, don't look there? Yes, it, it's a very much a self-awareness thing. So to me, I, I become really self-aware. I just turned 50 and really through my entire 40s, I was really focused on becoming self-aware. And what that really means is observing your emotions in real time. So anything that makes you happy or joyous or sad or sorrowful or depressed or angry, stop yourself and gain that moment of awareness to go, okay, what caused that? Is there something deeper? Maybe it's something that happened in my past or how I was raised or why do I have such a strong belief or conviction or some kind of emotional good or bad energy on this one subject or this one thing that I'm viewing or this one news headline that I'm reading, right? So you start to gain the awareness and you start to backtrack and do some work, inner work to understand like, man, maybe I was bullied as a kid and like this topic just sets me off or maybe... You know, I got fired from a boss and then this, this thing about people getting laid off like really irritates me. So you you start to find out more about yourself and you start to realize, like, is this really serving me? Is this really getting me to where I want to be? I always think about the future, you know, the vision boards. It's like, who do I want to be in three years? Who do I want to be in five years? What does that person look like physically, mentally, relationship wise, spiritually? What are the numbers that you got in your bank account? Like be very visual about who you want to become in the next three years. And it's future forward thinking, because if you start to look at who you want to become, every single decision on a daily basis today is based on decisions that will lead us to where we're going to be in the future. So if I'm going through a drive through at some double cheeseburger and, you know, crappy meal, and I, and I think about what the future version, what does it look like? What do they eat? And I coach myself in that moment because I have a self-awareness go, man, this is not like what the future version of me would be looking like. This is not going to lead me to that goal. And so smallest decisions can be dictated because I think that's also something you have to have full accountability of who you are today. Because every situation that you're in today, outside of acts of God or things that are just tragic incidents that are just random, you know, your, your general behaviors, your habits, your, your daily routines, the relationships that you keep with friends and loved ones, and, and even your spouse sometimes, these are all decisions that we make, actions that we take, behaviors that we adopt, beliefs that we carry forward. So Whatever happened in your past led you to here today. And so when you understand that and you take full accountability of who you are today and where you're at in the situation and because of the decisions you made years ago, you should feel empowered to understand that you can control your future by changing your habits, your behaviors, your actions, your relationships today. So that's why I was kind of thinking about who I'm going to be in the next three to five years. Ah, well said. Well, a happy belated birthday. Uh, just turning 50 in three days. I turned 65. And one thing I've learned about time is it is the enemy. Use it wisely, however, because the older you get, uh, the faster it seems to pass by. I think there's some kind of time warp momentum thing going on there. I have a theory. I have a theory on that exact thing because I, I agree that time does go by faster or it's perceived to move faster the older we get. And the, the reason is really mathematical because when we look at the entire span of our lifetime, we look at each year as kind of like the segments of our life. So you're 65, that's one, one year is 165th of your life. And if you need references, I think about back when you're like five, six years old and man, those summer vacations, three months long felt like an eternity. You're like, oh my gosh, mom, I want to go back <laughs> to school. I miss my friends. Like summer's boring, like three months. And nowadays like three months feels like you snap your finger and three months go by. So we're always comparing our memory based on the entire span of our lives. So when you're a kid, 
one year is 20% of your life. When you're older, one year is 60, you know, one sixty-fifth of your life. So it's a small fraction. So we're always comparing based on the entire timeline. There we go. Well, we're fortunate to still be here. That's what I always say every year her birthday comes. Uh, amen. Well, let's talk a little, a little bit about another key factor as we enter the new year, health. Every one of us knows health is the most important thing in our lives. It dictates pretty much everything that we do. And I know you have some real great opinions and ideas. I know and I see from your Facebook posts. I mean, how much are you deadlifting now? Just under 500 pounds. Holy crap. When I watch you do that, I can hear my vertebrae popping out of my back. Uh, (laughs) Incredible, incredible. Bravo to you. So let's talk about how we can improve our health, change our habits, take action, who we maybe should be reaching out to to help us finally get those those actions to mean something because you figured out a way to do it. Bravo to you. So give us some pointers. So I would say most of my early adult life, even back into high school, I was an athlete. So I was running track and playing football and doing those things like most American boys, right? And I'd say I carried that discipline into the, the weight room most of my 20s. Mostly because I was probably single going to college. You still wanted to look good for the ladies, right? You always <laughs> wanted to look, take care of yourself. And, you know, somewhere in my mid-30s, when I, after I sold my first company and financially I was doing really well, I kind of started slacking off because I had these chronic injuries that would just kind of come back when I would injure myself from working out. So I had like a bad knee, a bad shoulder, lower back pains. And the main reason is because I let my core get pretty weak because I would make all these excuses. So I would say, oh, I don't want to go to the gym today. My shoulder hurts, or I don't want to go to the gym today. My back hurts. And guys, I was 35, 36, 37 years old at the time. And what I started to realize is that all the friends that I was hanging around with, they all kind of validated the same BS excuses where they basically would, they're all overweight. They kind of let themselves go. Their wives let themselves go. And we're in our thirties and we're acting like we're 95 years old. Right. And so when you surround yourself with people who validate your excuses, kind of like you're playing tennis, you're like serving the excuse, they volley it back. And then you kind of bat back and forth with excuses. Like, I don't have time. Oh, I don't have time either, man. I get you. Like that's, that's a bad indicator, right? So you start to surround yourself with people who push themselves who want a little bit more for their life, who aren't going to settle for less. And they're going to be like, dude, like if you just go back to the gym and get stronger, I guarantee those, those pains will go away because you'll actually be stronger and you'll be able to carry that a little bit better. You'll increase your bone density, you'll be able to do things a little more flexibility. And so I, I started taking it more serious when I turned 39. It's like, okay, I don't want to be 40 and be like the dad bod dude. It's like, cause I always felt like I was a athlete inside. But when I looked at the mirror at that time, I, I looked like a you know 30 pound overweight, soft kind of dude with man boobs and a big belly. And I was like, <laughs> that's not who I visualize myself to be. Like, why am I letting myself settle like this? So it all really starts with our diet. It just really focus on diet. And, you know, everybody's got a different way of doing things. But for me, low carb diet, high protein stuff. So I really minimize bread, really minimize pasta. I don't eat any dairy. I don't add any sugar to things. The only things I really drink are uh, coffee, water, and iced tea. I don't add sugar to any of those kind of things. I just, no soft drinks. That's like the worst thing I see people drinking is all these soft drinks, even if it's diet or energy drinks, a bunch of sugar, a bunch of chemicals. Guys, if you're looking at the things you're eating or consuming, just look at the label, look at the ingredients. And if there's 10 syllable chemicals that you can't even pronounce, like you shouldn't be putting that in your body. Let's be real, right? So just, just eat healthier. I would say fitness is about 80, 90% of what you eat. 
And then if you want to get stronger, put on some weight, start to look a little bit better, lose some of the weight faster, add muscle by working out. The more muscle that we carry, the faster metabolism is and we can burn more calories. So that's what I did. I just started being more focused, really maybe back then going to gym two days a week to start out. Now, man, it was sore. It's tough. It's, it's hard. It's a mental game too, because you're going in there and you're lifting much less weight than you remember doing in your 20s. And you're like, oh, you know, maybe I'm wasting my time. And you get through that mental thing, which usually takes three to six months to build a new habit. And then your body starts to tell you like, hey, let's go to the gym. Like, I want to go do that thing again. And you start to crave that. It becomes your routine going forward, but you have to stick with it. And if you lack the accountability, if you lack that discipline to go do that, hire a trainer. And I would say hire an expensive trainer that you kind of feel the pain a little bit. So you're not going to be <laughs> right. as, as a, you know, you're not going to be eager as to call that person and like cancel today. Like, oh, I don't feel like coming in or my back hurts. Like if you're paying a little bit thing of discomfort, like you'll be motivated to go there. And that's what you want is that result. Right. And a lot of healthcare plans these days, thankfully, finally uh, offer payment for gym memberships. And even as, uh, as I said, I'm about to turn 65, I have a Medicare card. Oh my gosh, I feel old. But the great thing is the augmental insurance you have to buy with that, because guess what? The government isn't going to take care of all your healthcare needs like you thought all these years uh, with Medicare. Almost all of them offer a gym membership. So you, you don't have that excuse anymore. Uh, no. Yeah. So it's so, so important. And especially the older we get, you know, that leads me to the next thing is how do we do all this in our life? Uh, I've got Tony here telling me all these great things I should do, but I'm so busy looking at my Instagram account. I'm so busy watching TV. I'm so busy doing things that don't matter. Time management versus task management. Can you walk us through your concepts on that? How do we make the time to better our lives? Yeah, the number one excuse that I get from people who are business owners or people that want to do something different with their lives or make some changes or maybe learn a new skill is always say, I don't have time, right? And it's it's really a slap to the face and an insult to everybody else that's in a similar situation or even a worse situation than who overcame those challenges and got the result that that person actually wanted, right? So when people tell me like, oh, I wish I could do that, but I got kids. And oh, so you're, what you're telling me is that Nobody with children in the history of mankind has ever become successful or achieved the dreams that she would like to have because they had kids. Right. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Uh, well, no. And well, I just don't have time. I say, like, okay, cool. I'm a business coach. I'm a high performance coach. Let me see your cell phone. Like, show me your calendar. That's the next question. Calendar. I'll ask them. Yes. Calendar. Show me your calendar. And then they look at you with the, you know the deer in the headlights look because they've never been asked that question because these people have become comfortable hanging around with other peers and friends of theirs that when you say, Hey, I don't have time they go, I don't have time either. Yeah, I get you. Oh yeah. I'm so busy. I'm super busy. So guys, everybody has the same 24 hours a day. And what the problem is, is you're not even managing the time that you say you don't have because very few people, even at the highest levels of success, like some of my mentors own or joint venture into 20, 30 companies. Imagine like being one individual being partnered into 30 companies but that person still has time to go do the things that you keep complaining about. Why is that, right? And so you have to manage each task. And the way to do this is start out with a to-do list. Everybody does that. We get post-it notes and everybody sticks things on their, they write it on their fridge. They got notes everywhere. But what they don't do is they don't really start to qualify what these tasks are and what the urgency is of those tasks, the importance of those tasks, and what the significance of that task is. So you have to understand, is this urgent? Is this important? Is this significant? And most people don't understand the significance part of tasks. 
And that's like the third dimension of what, what a task it is. And so give me an example here, your podcast, 2000 something episodes in. Yes. When you started the podcast or when you were contemplating starting the podcast at that time, it really, if I was just looking at it from an urgency and an importance standpoint, it's not really urgent and it's not really important because we can all have much better things to do because it's just, it's not like an emergency situation. And so I don't have to do it right away. And it's not that important because it's not going to create any money for a while. And I've got these other things that are making me money. Right. So, but if you look at it through the glasses of significance value, it's very important. And you start to think about significance as the return on that investment over a period of time. So writing a book, Maybe something that you dream about and you'll go, oh, well, you know, I don't have time to do that. So it's not that important. It's not that urgent. I'll just put that off. I'll do that someday. I'll do someday. I'll do that. You know, and, but if you look at it from significance, like what if I write this book and it goes viral and it changes the world and it impacts millions of people's lives? Man, that's a high significance value. So now it should elevate itself on your task list of things to do. Right. So that kind of how you categorize your task. Now you have that done. You need to put those things on a schedule, like use your Google Gmail calendar that's on your phone or your iPhone calendar that's already on your phone. Like these are free apps. Designate a specific hour block time for each of these tasks. Like look, you plan months in advance. Like if you're not, if you're stacked up today because you're behind on things, plan three weeks out, four weeks out, just start reserving time for each of these tasks based on the priorities. And here's the beauty of having a calendar that most people just kind of miss why the reason is, is because we are all presented with distractions every single day. Let's say like we're in flow, we're creating something, we're building our next company, we're creating content and then the phone rings and it's your best friend. And they're like, hey man, let's go out for drinks tonight. If you didn't have a calendar, if you didn't have discipline, if you weren't working on a time block, you may be like, hey, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go do happy hour. But if you live from a calendar and that same offer comes up, you can actually look at the time that they're asking you to meet up and go, you know what? It says I need to be writing my book at that time. And then you have that moment of awareness where you go, okay, which is more important? Is it going out to have a few drinks, maybe rekindle that relationship? It might be important or it might be like, dude, I got to take a rain check because you know, I'm already obligated to go do something. I need to be committed to this. So once you live from a calendar, you can be very disciplined because you have you know, all your distractions are basically competing with things that you already designated as important. You need to be focused and be present in those hour blocks, working on the things that you should be working on. And it goes back to that health question. Put a moment of time on your calendar daily for you to work on your health. That is, go work out, whatever that workout looks like Absolutely. for you. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so it pops up. And these great things about all these free apps is they pop up on your screen. You can tell them to remind you a half an hour before, 10 minutes before the time of, all these things. And so the other thing that is important, and I've heard you talk about this, is the anxiety reduction a calendar provides you. Can you explain that a little better? Yeah, the problem with the stack of Post-it notes layered on top of Post-it notes around your computer screen and your desk and your dashboard of your car is that you're trying to remember all of these things. And that's a lot of mental energy most people have anxiety because they're trying to remember a bunch of stuff like all at once. It's just, it's just a mess. It's a very overwhelming place to be. But if you were just to take those tasks and put them on your calendar, you really don't have to remember things anymore because you wrote it down. It's there. You already blocked the time out for it. 
And so my routine is on Sunday nights. I basically look for the entire week ahead to kind of give me a little heads up. Okay, these are the things that happen on Monday, Tuesday. Okay, got it. It only takes me like five minutes to kind of gloss through that. Mm-hmm. And then I don't have to think about it anymore. And so Monday morning comes around and I can be really focused on that specific task and that specific hour block window that I created or 30-minute block, whatever the time duration you assess for each of your tasks, set those things. You know, you talked about the gym, put the commute time. If it takes you 15 minutes to drive to the gym, clearly you need 30 minutes on you know the, the total duration if you want to work out for an hour. So just put that in there, right? So be really, it helps you be really focused in that moment on the important tasks that you've already designated. And you don't have to remember all the other stuff. So your anxiety, your stress, and your overwhelm will go away. Yeah, it's super helpful. And that leads me to one of the, well, this is all important, but one of the things that I think as we grow older and who we're reminded that mom was always the smart one saying, surround yourself with people who are better than you. Don't hang around with losers. You'll become a loser is assessing your proximity of people around you. And I really want you to dwell on this one because this can make or break you in so many different ways. So can you kind of walk us through this process of making sure that you surround yourself with the right people and get rid of those folks that are really causing you grief and weighing you down. This one is going to be the toughest course of actions or the process. It's going to be very tough for people to do this one. It's like you said, Mark, I, I agree that this is the most important one as well. And the thing is, is that those of you that are parents out there, you, you're doing exactly what Mark had mentioned. Like we see our kids running around with the bad guys and you're like, those guys are going to get you in trouble. And, you know, you say that with your daughters to like avoid the, those that group of girls. They're, they're just nothing but trouble. So we know internally we have really good judge of character and intentions. And we can see like who are the good ones and who are the bad ones for the most part. And so when I give this advice or when you give this advice, Mark, everybody nods their head because they agree and they generally understand it because we've expo- been exposed to that. So it's, it's like it's a, it's a known, but the problem is, is the action, right? It's the action that's lacking here. So to give you an example, we had a pretty rough year in 2018, my wife and I, we had people that we thought were friends that were kind of not really supporting the businesses that we were creating or they didn't understand things or they would be naysayers or the critics on social media. And, you know, there's they would screenshot stuff and text messages to other people and kind of just make fun of the things that I was doing. And, and I was like, man, these are people that I've been on vacations with, they have dinner at my house, I helped them out. I mean, I've got them jobs. I mean, I did all kinds of things for these people. And it's like, I'm not expecting you to support me, but like you're kind of making fun of stuff and being negative about it and having doubts. Like that's, that's odd, you know? So it was a pretty rough year of that. So new year's day, actually in 2019, my wife and I, we were in, Colorado Springs, I was speaking at an event and we got up and I said, you know what, let's make a list of people that we deem as toxic in our relationships. And so she took a pen pen, pen and a paper and I took a pen and a paper and we both made lists of names that we felt weren't really supportive of us or or very critical or passive aggressive, right? And we just agreed as a married couple that, you know, we're going to create some boundaries or remove these people from our lives, whoever's name was on there. So really put some thought into this and, you know, I had maybe 10 names. She had maybe 12 names. There was a little bit of overlap and we just agreed, okay, we're going to create boundaries and not spend any time with these people. We're going to remove most of them from our social media. That way we don't even see them. We don't have to see their comments. And that was tough, man, because it cut deep. Some of these people I knew 20 years, my wife, her maid of honor from our wedding was on there. That was her high school best friend was on there. 
And that cut really deep because we'd been on several vacations, but it was always that passive aggressiveness that we would have some kind of a win or a victory in our life. And they'd be like, well, you could have done it better or, you know, or just, just someone's always trying to drag you down like an anchor, you know, like constantly. And, you know, it's probably envy or things like that. I mean, it's human psychology. We all have our ways we react, but we just realized like that's just not really a, a positive relationship that we need to have in our proximity. So we're just going to decline requests to go hang out and we're just going to start doing things to be really focused on finding people that pour energy into you rather than rob your energy. Right. So when I, when I think about this, you know, Carnegie and like the way he talks about communications and influence, it's like, you should try to, your intention should be to leave every interaction with someone for them feeling better versus making them feel lesser of themselves or feel like they were defeated, right? So right. you start to really identify, like, who are those people in my life? And you can you can quickly understand it. One of the best ways I think about this is if, if someone's calling your phone right now and you see the name on the screen, what's your reaction to that individual? Is it, oh, man, I can't wait to catch up? Or is it like, oh, what now? And that, that's going to tell you <laughs> exactly. everything you need to know. That's exactly. going to tell you everything. It might be your grandma, it might be your mom, but whatever, like, one of those is taking your energy every single time they communicate with you. The other one is pouring energy into you every time you communicate. And you know, your gut tells you, you react that way. So the hardest part, Mark, is to remove those people from your life. And you actually go through a mourning process, almost like someone had died or like a relationship is gone because literally it is, right? And, and that lasts a few months, depending on how deep that relationship was. But I'll tell you, once you make it through that storm, which probably three to six months, kind of like a breakup, right? You start to realize that that was one of the best decisions you ever made in your life and you have zero regrets about it. Right. And especially if you find ways to fill that void, that loss of a friend or a one-time one friend or even a family member, which can be even more difficult, but you realize they're not good for my life. I need to distance myself or limit my time with them. But find positive people to refill that void with. That yes. fulfill. And the other thing is with social media, and we all see this, people that get into big social media arguments. And I always remind folks, you have an option. You don't have to look at that. You can scroll on by. You can snooze them for 30 days. I think that's a funny thing that Facebook has, but mm -hmm. it's, it's great. You can unfriend them. It's okay. You can delete them and or ignore them. And for people like you and I, Tony, that are somewhat public figures, I have a lot of Facebook friends that are people I really don't know, but I'm grateful that they want to follow me and listen to what I say and share my life and share their life. But sometimes the people that follow us aren't good for us. You know, we know no. we need to know when to distance ourselves. So really good advice when it comes to the proximity of people around you. And I go back to, uh, again, what mom always said, hang out with the good kids. And my mom used to say, you know, hang out with people that are that you deem better than you, smarter than you, faster than you, more talented than you, because they will teach you how to be a better person. And it's so true, right? There's a phrase that I actually come up with. It's surround yourself with more people that talk about imagine when instead of remember when. <laughs> it, well, it's a, that great quote, and I think it was with a, by a president's wife, I can't remember, maybe it was Eleanor Roosevelt, that uh, smart people don't talk about others, they talk about ideas and dreams. That's right. Uh, yeah, I uh, paraphrased. So one of the other topics here, doing more of what makes us happy and fulfilled. And we touched on this a little bit, but it's finding ways not to simply live for a paycheck, 
Uh, realizing time is the enemy, as we mentioned earlier, that we have a limited amount of time, so we need to make the most of it. Can you touch on that subject? Yeah, I would say that everybody listening has somebody that pops up in their mind, someone they worked with, a family member perhaps, someone who maybe worked extremely hard, was likable, doing right things, made a bunch of money, and then they passed away before they even got to enjoy the fruits of their labor. And it's really heartbreaking to see that. And it's always sudden. So our days are never guaranteed. And, you know, I would say that I I was fortunate, but also unfortunate to have a near-death experience while racing cars in 2015, where I hit a concrete wall at the drag strip at 130 miles per hour, top of third gear was a nine-second car. Ouch. And as I was approaching that wall in that moment, I actually felt like very peaceful in that moment. And I had said to myself, well, here I go. And after that accident and after that profound, peaceful moment facing what I thought was near death, I started to realize that I'm looking at this wreckage of the car sitting in the back of the ambulance. And I'm looking at this car thinking like, what if I would have died? And the next question is, well, if I would have died right there, how would I have been remembered? And you start to think that's a really weird question, like thinking about your mortality and your eulogy and you know what people would say on your obituary. And you say, well, how would I be remembered? And you start, the, the, the logical thing here is we start to look at our, our friends and the people that we know that were kind of in the same circles that passed away before us. Well, how, how is so-and-so remembered? They were kind of like me, right? And so I, I was really quickly able to come up with how I've been remembered in that moment. It would have been nice, rich guy, cool cars gone too soon. And those are the comments that most people will say, like, oh, nice guy, I had some cool cars, gone too soon, man, hope he's upstairs racing with the big man, right? And so then the question becomes, is that good enough? Mm-hmm. Is that really good enough for me to be remembered that way? And so for me, the answer was no. And then the logical question becomes, well, if that's no, then what would I like to be? What would I, if I could create my obituary today? with the actions and the words and the things I do, what would that look like going forward? So we get to create that again. So I said I need to go create more impact. I've been really good at making money for myself and my close friends and my employees and people in my proximity, but I was always hiding from the camera. I didn't like being on recorded voices. I didn't like being on stage. I had stage fright. I had all that stuff. And it was because of insecurities and, you know, being bullied as a small child and things like that. I was, I was really always good as a, being a, an MVP in the background and excelling behind the logo, but never putting myself in front of the camera. So I realized that my ability to communicate and show empathy and help other people, especially small business owners, because I love business as much as I love cars. It's like, I'm not doing this world any duty by hiding from the camera and hiding my message and only serving people that know me. And so I had to get really uncomfortable by learning public speaking, learning how to do video creation, learning how to be a better writer, writing copy, understanding psychology and behaviors and influence. And, you know, that all started in 2015. So not too long ago. And, you know, the book came out 2018 and did really well. So thousands of copies hit number one in many categories on Amazon. It's gone on to do all kinds of stuff. And I've ended up on TV and 500 interviews and all kinds of stuff because I quit hiding. And I would have never done that. I don't believe I would have ever done that had I not been in that accident because I had all the comforts of life, made plenty of money, had a happy family, great wife, you know, beautiful home, like all my cars and the toys. And I used all those things as convenient excuses for the reasons why I wasn't doing what I do today, because I could have said, well, I don't have time. Well, I have a family. Uh, I got three businesses that I run. I have a really demanding career. I, you know, I have a family. Like it, All these convenient excuses were just really 
excuses for me not to do what I could do. And you know, value of time and, and urgency and, and putting that message out there, I, I just really value every single day. And I always try to share that message because no day is guaranteed, no matter how old you are. I mean, we see people passing away nowadays in their teenage years and 20s and 30s. It's like you don't have a guarantee. So ask yourself in this moment, how would you be remembered today? And be honest with yourself. How would you be remembered today if you were to pass away? And is that good enough to you? And if not, what are the changes that you need to do to change the outcome of that? Well, the other couple of things you've done too uh, to counter that is you've worked on becoming a comedian. You've done some comedian schools, which that's like the ultimate get in front of people and pass or fail. I mean, because that's a hard thing to do. And many Very. times you get up there and nobody laughs and you're like, oh, you just want to crawl away. But putting yourself out there, I think, is the key thing you're telling us there in, in realizing what makes you happy. And that leads me to the next thing, and that is helping others and giving back. You know, I've interviewed over 2,200 people here over the last eight and a half years. And, and I've learned, I have people ask me, what have you learned after talking to so many people, Mark? I've learned that we are happiest as people when we give back to others. And that's what you became after your successes with business. You became a coach, a mentor, a speaker. Uh, touch on this a little bit because this is a repeated message I hear from every successful person that I've talked to on Cars. Yeah, that is when we're happiest when we're giving back to others. Well, the other thing is that I think that it's a character thing. So you know, going back to even when I was in high school, I always wanted to be a teacher. I always like to educate people, even going younger than that. I was a skateboarder, a BMXer, and I was really fascinated at learning a new trick and then being able to teach my friends how to do that and encourage them. So I've always been a coach, a teacher, but I didn't want a, a school teacher income. I was like, I grew up broke. I didn't have money. And I saw my parents work extremely hard. My mom worked in the, the public schools as a cafeteria worker. My dad was in the refineries as a laborer. And so I, I really started thinking, well, I don't want to be a teacher. I want to go make $100,000 a year. So that's why I pursued engineering. But even while I was in engineering, I'm still mentoring people and teaching people. And it, and it wasn't my job description. It was just who I am. And so I've always been that helpful person. I've always been the one that's trying to give people the answers that they need or the resources that they need. And that has led to wealth because I understand that the... The financial rewards in our life are really based on the value we create for other people. It's not about yourself. It's not about being self-serving. It's about how many more people can I help that I don't have the intention of just doing it for a transactional value, but I will get rewarded in time. And a lot of the rewards and the opportunities that we get in time are not based on a one-to-one -one transaction between individuals. Like I, I could help 100,000 people and Maybe a year from now, 10 years from now, an opportunity arises because of what I've done in the past. And so when you start to expand your value creation to not just serve yourself or talk about your family like it's your only duty is to serve your family, you all have the potential to expand your value creation to impact the world in the best way that you can. You know, you talked about comedy. Maybe your value is making people laugh and people need that more than anything in the world right now. So always try to figure out how to help as many people as possible. I mean, even like ls1tech.com. I mean, it's an automotive GM performance community, hundreds of thousands of members, but it was not about me. It was not an influencer business model. It was, I wanted to create a cool place for all my car friends to come and talk about cars and racing and how to make them faster, how to make them look better and have maybe discounts and connected with the industry. Right? So 
I was about serving them, not intentioning, you know, that, that I didn't have any intention that was going to make millions of dollars. Like that was just a cool thing I was playing with, learning how to build websites and it just grew and grew and grew. So, you know, 365 Driven is a entrepreneurship community. I'm a community builder. So I want to bring entrepreneurs in. I want them to interact. I want them to learn from each other, support each other, encourage each other. And so all the things that I do are serving other people. So it's always who I've been. And I think that not everybody's wired like that, Mark, but that's why not everybody's successful also. Well, one of the things I've heard from many of my guests, and you touched on it very well there, is that if you want to learn how to be a helper and a giver, but you don't, you might think, well, I don't have the money or I don't have the time. Well, we talked about time earlier. You can make the time. <laughs> Tony gave us some great ideas how to do that. Live off your calendar. Is I've heard this from many is go out and volunteer within your community. Start small first because trying to be an influencer or helping save the world a uh, very difficult thing to do when you have no presence as a famous person or whatever that might be. But start in your community. And I've heard that starting there, that grows. It grows your environment of people. And eventually, as Tony said, you will become known as that person and somebody will come to you. Joe Hale, who was a guest on my show last month, I see he's November, He's the president of the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum. He got hired to do that job. He, had, he knew nothing really about cars or running museums, but he had spent his life being a giver back in his community, which led to communications and led to being able to speak and going to things. And guess who he met at one of those speaking conferences? The wife of Roger Penske. And she said, you are a smart guy. I like your outlook. We're looking for someone to run our museum and change the Indianapolis Museum. And he's just one of many people that have been guests on my show that show that. So very well said. Now, I love books here. We always talk about books. And I want to talk about your book, Awesome Book, Side Hustle Millionaire. Uh, tell us why you wrote the book and give us a little insight as to why listeners today should pick that up and how much they can learn from it to improve their lives in this new year. I'm going to give you a little bit of a twist of this answer here because Good. most Love people it. just jump jump in and they want to promote their book. But being completely honest in this moment, and I share this on a few shows, is that when I wrote that book, and I started writing that late 2017. It came out in May of 2018 for time frame, right? When I initially was writing that book, I still was dealing with the insecurities about being on stage or cameras or recordings. And so I actually wrote the book as a cowardly option. And I hate to admit that, but it's true. <laughs> it, was a, it was a cowardly option to take the knowledge and the experience that I had and put it out to the world. And although I believed in myself, I didn't understand how the potential could really grow because it really blew up my career and doing all kinds of crazy stuff because of that book. But the thing is, is like we have this knowledge or the experience or the empathy and we want to help people. We write a book it's kind of like well i could put it out there and if it does good awesome and if it if it doesn't well i tried gosh darn it you know we can say stuff like that and it's really easy to walk away from like well i checked the box but here's where it shifted okay for me i was giving a chapter at a time to my editor and you know by three chapters four chapters in he's like tony man this is a this is a really good book it's helping i think it's going to help a lot of small business owners or people that want to start their companies and then he said it he's like you may get interviewed. People may want people may want you on podcasts or on stage or you know. I was like, oh crap! It's like the thing I was trying to avoid by writing a book is punching me in the face again. So rather than hide from that, I realized like, okay, this this calling keeps coming back to me. I can't avoid it. 
So that's when I decided, I was okay, I'm going to go invest in joining Toastmasters and learning, learning public speaking, and I'm going to hire a speaking coach. I'm going to do videos every single day to practice and get the reps. And so I had to actively become the right person, the right character to carry that title. That's a big title, Side Hustle Millionaire, right? I had to, I had to evolve and prove myself to become that person. And so you talk about how you don't have to have an audience. You don't have to have an influence strategy right now. And you can start off with the smallest things. Well, I just took people on my journey. I said, Hey, I'm writing a book and here's the process. And this is what I'm learning. And here's a paragraph from my next chapter. What do you guys think about it? So sharing my journey, people were curious about that. And then I said, Hey, I'm, I'm really bad and I hate public speaking, but I'm going to go join Toastmasters and sit in the front row and make myself speak every week. And I'm just going to get better and I'm going to do videos because I'm not on stages or cameras yet. So I have a phone, but I can create content on the things I'm learning. So I showed people that I was really awful at that at the beginning. And I just improved and improved and improved. So this was growing an audience at the same time because I'm just proving that you can do it too. If I can do it, you can do it. That led into the podcast later in 2018. We're four years in. You know, it's a top 1% globally ranked show in entrepreneurship as well. And and so I just show people what's possible. The comedy school you mentioned, that was another thing. It's like, okay, I'm getting kind of comfortable. I want to go do something that's kind of out of my comfort zone. And so I took improv and it was a 12 month program, like five different courses. And, you know, I finished improv school. So I'm always doing things. I may do acting school. I've been on a couple TV episodes now. It's like, eh, this is kind of curious. Maybe I'll go learn a new skill. So you don't have to be rich. You don't have to have invented everything in the world to, to get the attention, but you can take people on your journey. And if you're consistent with that and you're showing results, you will build that snowball and it will grow and you will have an audience as a result from that. But you have to be willing to suck and be a beginner at something, <laughs> which most people are unwilling to do because the ego and all kinds of things. They're, just, they're, they're exceptional at certain things that they like to showcase, but they're unwilling to showcase that they suck in certain things. And that's where you actually get the gold. That's where people actually will start to follow you. Yeah, great, great way to say it. And I'll put a link to his book. You really should get a copy. I bought many copies and giving, giving them away to friends who've really enjoyed the book. It's, it's really awesome. I had a guest on my podcast years ago, and she said, my New Year's resolution is to fail 100 times in the new year. And I said, what? And she goes, yeah, because that means I tried 100 things I didn't know how to do. And I might find something encouraging or helpful uh, or something new that I didn't know I could do, and I could start doing it. I always thought that was a great New Year's resolution. Twist the whole concept of failure on its tail. So before we let you go today, the ABCs of success as you define them, action, belief, consistency. Could you walk us through the ABCs and uh, tell us how they've applied to uh, your life and they could apply to those listening today? Yeah, I came up with that acronym. First of all, it's easy to remember. ABC, action, belief, consistency, and it was a result of listening to a lot of personal development gurus and people out there that are just, you know, saying things. Maybe they don't even have the proof of things that they believe in. And, and what I noticed was everybody was putting belief first. You know, I mean, I'm a Christian, but people always want to put belief first. They always think that you have to believe in yourself and you have to have other people believe in you and then you can do this. And, and I didn't agree with that. It's like that has never worked for me in my entire life. All the results I've ever had was because I took action before I was ready. We talk about taking imperfect action always beats sitting there and trying to do research and trying to learn more, but never doing anything. So 
vast majority of people out there are very risk averse and they're just studying things and they're preparing and they're waiting for that perfect moment. And, you know, as soon as they get an opportunity or some free time, they're going to go launch that business or they're going to do this thing or create a podcast or write that book. Like all these things are always waiting for someday. And that's lack of action. So I said, you know what? Action has to always be first, whether you believe it or not, because I like your guest. I want to fail a hundred times. Like that's a great thing. That shows action. They didn't believe in any of the things they would try and they may fail, but Hey, they took the action because when we arrive on our deathbed, hopefully with a great life that we enjoyed, we're never going to regret the things that we didn't, you know, like fail at. We're just not going to regret the failures. We're, we're going to go, Hey, I tried and I failed, but cool. I learned a lesson from that. What we're going to regret always is the things that we never tried. And that's going to be really hard to sit with when you start to realize like, man, why didn't I go create that podcast? Man, why didn't I go become a speaker? Well, I know why. It's because I didn't fear criticism. I didn't fear failure. I, just, I was always worried about what people were going to think or say about me or how they're going to judge me. So I'm fearing judgment in the criticism. But that's what kept me from doing the things that I want to go achieve. Like, that's crazy. Like, and when you're on your deathbed and you're surrounded by the people that actually love and support you. You're not going to have any of those haters or naysayers or critics at that place. So you're going to look back on the things you never tried worrying about those critics and the naysayers and the haters. You're going to think, man, I let those people dictate my entire life. They're not even here to support me at the end of my life. So why did I do that? They they ran my entire life. So guys, take the action, action, belief, consistency, take the action that creates the belief because you get a result, good or bad. You learn something, you apply, you take more action, you get the belief. And quit asking everyone else to believe in you before you believe in yourself. Like you have to go create that for yourself. And then consistency, that's just the simple word, just showing up every day, little incremental improvements, even the smallest steps add up to a lot of distance over time. So you have to be consistent and not be just showing up every day. I mean, that's the brand 365 driven. Yeah, you know, it's so true. I grew up surfing in Southern California. It was a big part of my life. And then life came along and marriage and kids. And I kind of let that go. And our the first home my wife and I bought, I was in Del Mar, California. And guess who moved in next to me? The homecoming queen from my prom in high school and her husband. Mm-hmm. And her husband was Dan. He was a rugby player. He was a doctor. He was a real go-getter. And he said, hey, I used to surf. Let's go surfing. And he got me back into surfing. And The reason I'm sharing the story is it led to something that you touched on here, action, belief, consistency. We went out to surf Black's Beach. Black's is a a break uh, that's right down from the college I went to, UCSD. It's a beautiful place, but when the waves get big there, they get very powerful. Uh, They can pound you. In fact, that's the only place I've ever surfed where one day I thought I was going to drown. And we were out there, and the waves were rolling in, and a big set came in. And I started to paddle for a big wave, and I pulled back. And I turned around and I said, oh, should have taken that. And I'll never forget this. He looked at me and he said, shoulda, coulda, woulda, words of a loser. And he sprayed water in my face. And it stuck with me and I share the story today. And that's why when I started my podcast, I was really like, this is something I've never done. This is really weird. Why should I do this? I had some naysayers going, that's crazy. But if I hadn't taken it, I wouldn't be talking to you today. I wouldn't have talked to over 2,200 people, and I wouldn't have inspired people through these stories of people like you, Tony, to improve their lives. So, yeah, action, belief, consistency, the ABCs of success. Before I let you go today, and I want to thank you for for coming on board and helping. I know that together we've inspired some people to take action today, to look at this new year in a different way and giving them some tools 
to be successful, could you leave us with maybe a success quote or a mantra or some words of inspiration and advice? Yeah, the quote that I put in the back of my book is one that I think about. It dictates my course of action every day. And I just think about confidence and fear are both imaginary. Choose one and live with it. I love it. Awesome. How can people learn more about you? And I would encourage any of you out there, if you would like to hire Tony to be a business coach, he can help you. It could be the beginning of a wonderful relationship, a successful relationship. It isn't could be, it would be, and it will be. How can people learn more about you and 365 Driven Society? Well, I'm very active on Instagram at 365 Driven. So if you heard this show and you want to reach out or have some comments, I'd love to hear from you. Or a screenshot this episode on your phone and tag Mark and I on there. We'd love to share it as well. That's kind of the fun thing we enjoy doing. And you know, for everything else, the book, the entrepreneurship groups that I've created, the coaching, you can find that on my website at 365driven.com. Absolutely. Check Tony out. Hey, all you listeners today, happy new year. I hope this unique Cars Yeah show and coming to you from two very sincere car guys, because Tony, he is a car guy. And if you missed my talk with him when he was on the show originally, you can go back and find it on the Cars Yeah website. He was guest number 1022 back in May of 2018, pre-COVID when things were kind of more normal. But we're adjusting to whatever this new reality is. Tony, thank you for taking time with me today. Thank you for spending New Year's Day with me and with the Cars Yeah listeners. Uh, this has been fantastic. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Hey, Mark, Happy New Year to you, and let's make 2023 the best year yet. Absolutely. Get driven. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. And I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah! podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah! website at carsyeah.com. 20, 50, or 100 years from now, will there be a workforce to care for the collector vehicles we love? With auto shop programs disappearing across the country, it's a question we enthusiasts have to ask. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these vehicles aren't lost to time. One of the many ways RPM, which is short for Restoration, Preservation, and mentorship is accomplishing this goal is through workforce development initiatives. The RPM apprenticeship program enables the next generation of artisans to earn a living while they learn the craft of restoring and preserving these vehicles directly from industry professionals. The endangered skills program documents the process of masters training future craftspeople on a variety of critical skills in danger of being lost forever. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector vehicle skills trade, visit RPM Foundation today. They're one of the charities of choice here on Cars Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!